Computer, initialize Holosuite. Welcome to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Perry. And I'm your host, David. Tonight we're recapping Season 3 and the show up to this point. But before we continue, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. Yeah, basically, you can find us everywhere because we are trying to be everywhere. So do find us, follow us, and let us know what you think of the show. Or if you have general questions or just want to get to know us because we are just such awesome people. We promise to be relatively friendly. Um, (laughs) Now, as David said, this is going to be a recap. We're talking about, uh, obviously, mainly Season 3 because that's what we just finished watching. But also kind of giving you a story so far and helping to connect the dots of the overall storyline of Deep Space Nine, and also maybe make some projections into the future, what we hope to see in Season 4. Now, um, this is going to really be more of a a David area than me, because I've seen this show so many times, so there's no sense in me really giving a whole lot of projections. I'm just going to kind of play into David's, basically, here. So. Um, But before we get into all of that goodness, David, how was your week? Week's been good. Work has been surprisingly good. Um, it was interesting because, you know, we just had the President's Day sale, one of the big sales of the year, and it was kind of a dud. And then a few weeks later, it's like people were like two weeks late to the sale. Okay. Like, all right. Good week. Surprised that it was two weeks behind what we normally would expect. But all right. Whatever. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Other than that, life's good. Life's normal. How about you? Um, too eventful is how I'm going to describe this past week. Everything from, you know, a, a physical injury to um, various car troubles that took forever to get solved. And, of course, my daughter turned eight years old this week, this past week. Wow. So we've just had a lot of things all moving all at once here in this um, last week, which is great considering the week before when we were doing this, I was kind of complaining about how everything's just kind of been really, you know, stable and nothing's happening. I guess this Mm -hmm. is my reaping the, uh, you know, what does it say? You know, what do we say? Don't, uh, don't knock it or whatever that is. So I definitely did. And then got a bunch of things all at once, but I'm glad to be back to doing this and talking about the show that I just love so much. And also we, while we talk about this show, we will also be talking about, um, things that are going on in the new, new Trek, new Trek first. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that's happening. A lot of references to Deep space nine, as a matter of fact. So I can't wait to bring those up for people as well. So we're going to get to that. Um, But let's talk about uh, season three. Season three definitely started um, off with a bang in the biggest way, of course. And I'm talking about the very first episode of season three, which was the search. And this is where, you know, Cisco and uh, Jake, Nog and um, uh, Quark 
had gone into the Gamma Quadrant and they ended up running afoul in our first encounter with the Gem Hadar. We have never seen them before. And then, of course, we have the Starship Odyssey going into the Gamma Quadrant to rescue them, which ultimately led to the Odyssey's destruction. The first first big screen explosion or I guess small screen explosion of a beloved galaxy class ship here. Uh, so, so uh, what did you think of this beginning for us in the, in the third season? You know, our second season, we were kind of starting to see some elements of a lot of different action, but it kind of ended on a bit of a lower note, but then here we come third season, big splash. What were your first thoughts coming into this? Do you remember? Yeah, um, so that episode you just talked about was the episode Jim Hadar's. That was the finale of season two, and then season three opens up with the aftermath, and that's yeah, we meet the Defiant. We actually see Cisco piloting, captaining a ship, which I have to say, I really like it. It's funny. I think does he cross his legs in the more uh, like the he doesn't he doesn't do the more manly cross his legs. He does the more feminine version, I think, but he still looks great. The you know what I'm feminine talking about? version? I've never oh, considered I, this one crossing I was, legs. Oh, I when I was a kid, there was someone who made fun of me for crossing my legs in the more feminine style, and ever since then, I've been more. I've always been sensitive to like, how are they crossing their legs? How am I crossing my legs? Am I crossing my legs feminine or am I crossing my legs masculine? I was I've like never, in sixth grade. Never thought. So about I'm always sen- I'm always sensitive to that issue. Anyway, my sidetrack. I was trying to say <laughs> is that I like seeing Cisco whenever he's in charge of the Defiant. Um, every episode where the Defiant was brought up and he's captain of that. I mean, he's not technically captain until the finale of season three. Um, but every time he's in charge on the defiant, it's always great. Cause it definitely feels like classic star Trek in terms of that. We're, you know, getting on a ship and we're doing some things and we're having to fight off enemies. Very classic star Trek, deep space nine, obviously being on a space station um, is a different angle on the star Trek formula uh, as anyone who can anyone knows that it's obvious but doesn't he um, seem doesn't cisco seem more at home on the defiant like i mean i yes. i enjoy him on the space station because i have a thing about the cardassian architecture i i know what we're supposed to think of the cardassians but i think that they have a very elegant design but for some reason and this is not anyone else but for some reason to me cisco always seemed to stand out a bit more in the Cardassian styling than anybody else. But once we get him on the Defiant and we see him sitting on the bridge, he's got his hands, you know, together. Yes, and, I was going to say. And the, yeah. the, he yeah. looks very he, at home. He looks very comfortable yes. here. And he right. definitely has that aura of command. Like, this is where he was supposed to be, you right. know? And I really enjoyed that. When he first appeared on the Defiant and we get to kind of see the, the new ship and everything else, I instantly liked the, the defiant i never had to warm up to that ship like i had to warm up to some of the others like um like voyager for example i i have to admit i didn't really like voyager for like all of the first season of the show it took a while for me to get there um which is weird because i like the enterprise d like instantly as well right. so um but yeah the defiant i love the compact design i love that everything is just you know it's tight it's right there you know he swivels from the command seat which is up on this kind of slightly raised platform which is interesting that they put it there because that actually goes away later and then you don't Hmm. see that anymore but um i like that initial part where it looks like you have to take at least a half step up 
onto the um uh, up to where the captain's chair is, you know, and then yeah, right. it swivels around to all the other stations and stuff. So I, I mean, I really yeah. enjoyed the Defiant a lot. I like that swivel. Now, remind me, that's kind of how the classic Star Trek setup looked too, right? Where kind of yes. like it was in the center and it kind of swiveled around, right? That's yeah. true. The captain's chair was in the center and it was on its own little, you know, separate area of the bridge, and then you had the um, helms. The helmsman station and the tactical station were were directly in front of the captain's chair, and then you had science to his what is that? I guess it would be science to his right, and then engineering was to his left, and communications was behind him. But yeah, and he had the same kind of swiveling uh, chair; he could turn to any position and give right. direct commands that way. Right. Uh, yeah. But yeah, but then of course you know next generation kind of broke that up. We've got the you know, there's like what is there four or five chairs in no, the front? You got no, you got the three main ones, but then there were like two other the chairs three. that were off to the wings on either side. But they weren't; they didn't have the back on the chair the way that the three main chairs did. They were more like um, 20th century, 24th century Benches. stool equivalents <laughs> that were there. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, there were technically five seats right there, but the three were always maintained by Counselor Troy, Picard in the center, and then Riker uh, uh, to his his right. His right, yeah. But yeah, and then Voyager was a two-seat position in the middle. So, and then, and it was so weird because you couldn't really tell which of those was the captain's chair because they were equally in the middle. And there was no clear designation either way until, you know, the captain just sat down and said, this is the captain's chair. And then that was it, which I really I think that's part of the reason that I didn't like it, because there wasn't anything that clearly designated. Like at any moment, the captain could walk onto the bridge from any particular angle and sit in a seat. And that's the captain's chair because they are the captain. They don't need to have one on that bridge design. It didn't seem like they needed to really have one designated as the captain's chair. I didn't right. like that. I've never liked that. And then all the other shows kind of went back to that framework of the captain's chair is always in the middle and it's either alone or the other chairs around it are designated in such a position that you can clearly tell that the center seat is the captain's chair. Right. So um, I don't know why Voyager is the only one that kind of departed from that. But yeah, all I mean, even even Enterprise, when they did, you know, the whole back to the future, past, future tense, whatever the hell you want to call that for a prequel show. Even that show, the captain's chair was on its own separate platform, set back from everything else, you know, and then all the shows now, Discovery, Strange New Worlds, all of them, the ships have a center captain's chair, and then the captain's chair is far away from all of the other positions. So, yeah, Voyager definitely stands out as having this kind of equal footing seating that yeah, I don't like. So. <laughs> okay. Anyway, the defiance yeah. cool. Basically, the defiance yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's interesting to hear the the from you how the shows have you know you know made a vari- variations on that um, mm-hmm. that theme. But yeah, I, I I do agree. Yes, Cisco seems at home on the defiant, and when we find out in that first episode where we meet the defiant that he actually kind of helped build the defiant, he was actually in charge of its production. This is his mm-hmm. baby. He, I mean. It's any captain we've had, of course, their ship is their baby. But this one's a little bit special for the reason he was there. Intimate, right? 
Yeah. Um, and as we talked about, I, I think it was like two episodes ago. Was it the one where the, was it the last episode or two episodes ago where the, uh, I guess it was the last one where the, 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 the changeling was in the, sh- in the ship and was, um, was making havoc and we were exploring the, the depths of, of the defiant. And I was telling you, it was like, I, the defiant is much bigger according to this episode than I expected it to be or thought it was. Yeah. And then, uh, you actually sent me a picture uh, a text message uh, with two with several models displaying their actual size compared to each other, and while the Defiant is definitely smaller than the Enterprise by quite a lot, um, it does still show that it actually there is some depth to the Defiant. It actually, yeah. I mean, my, again, my initial thought was the Defiant was like maybe a twenty person ship max. Like I thought yeah, I when you say a stealth ship, I'm talking about like minimal crew and all that. But it's more like this ship is definitely smaller and meant for stealth for sure. But it's not like it's sacrificing, like a, it's not a skeleton crew that's running this no. thing. It's it, it can it can hold a contingent of people. So, so the ship wasn't necessarily built for stealth so much as it was built for combat. The stealth sure. was an added bonus yes. because they got that cloaking device from the Romulans. But originally, the Defiant had been uh, constructed with one purpose, which was to uh, combat and defeat the Borg. Right. Um, This was, again, the ship that Sisko was working on. And this is kind of a callback also to what we first learned about him when the show first started back in season one, when he has that infamous meeting with Captain Picard. Captain Picard says how he knows that uh, Sisko has been working away at the Utopia Planitia shipyards for the past 18 months. So following the, you know, the battle at Wolf 359, Sisko has really just kind of been isolated and just focusing on ship design, not really doing anything else. Right. So now here he is, he's getting to bring one of his ideas. He was working on all the, all that time ago. He's bringing that to his new place here at deep space nine. And um, yeah, it's when you look at the comparison of the ships from, you know, the galaxy class enterprise D to the defiant, the defiant was stripped down and it's it's designed again to be a combat vessel so all the luxuries and things like that that we were really just kind of used to from the enterprise d none of that is here um right. i don't i think that they have like one holodeck on the defiant i'll have to double check that to be sure but even then it's only supposed to be used for like training and and things like that it's not a it's not like the luxury thing that it is on the enterprise d you know and there's multiple holodecks on the enterprise plus the enterprise has arboretums and gyms and various bars and they've got a um a barber on station on, on the ship and they've got all these other amenities that there's just absolutely no room for any of that. This the Defiant is designed to be, you know, definitely more on the military end than um, the paramilitary that we're supposed to think of Starfleet as being. And there was obviously a need for that. Again, fighting the Borg. The Borg were the biggest threat that we had in the in the at the time when that ship was going into construction, and they didn't want to put families. And again, this. It's, Still tells us a lot about Cisco because he was the one who designed it. What happened to him at Wolf Three Five Nine? He lost his family. Yeah, you know right. he barely escaped with his son. So all of his thinking of designing a ship was make it the toughest, meanest, baddest thing that I possibly can to make it a true threat to the Borg, but also to eliminate the possibility of anybody going through 
what I went through. So no families. This is just a straight up crew and holds 85 people. And we know that when they left on that last mission in the the adversary, there was only 47 people on board. So uh, half capacity, but still very effective, very effective as a fighting ship. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I love the. Yeah, the sh- I will. I, I yeah. think that's. I think these are the reasons that I love it because as much as the Enterprise is pretty, and um, there's a lot that you can do on it, and I feel like they could do whole seasons that were just about exploring different aspects of the Enterprise D because there are so many things that we never got to see on that ship. But True. I like to defy it because it feels more like um, a more realistic. say for what you can say for a a spaceship anyway but um, that kind of close quarters feel everybody having to share you know bunks even the crew quarters have bunk beds they don't have individual you know lavish rooms and things like that everybody's on bunk beds and stuff and everything's really close everybody can drop into position um, quickly and yeah I just I like that very efficient streamlined feel to this ship that you don't have really in any of the other ships you know even Voyager which is supposed to be smaller um, still had a lot more amenities on it than really I feel like it should have for such a small ship but hey (laughs) whatever right right Yeah, um, there's also, I mean, there were a number of things that changed this season. The biggest change was, again, we found out more about Odo and the Changelings, that the, the Changelings run the Dominion, and the Dominion is a, I mean, it, the Dominion is a group of, it's like, it's dic, I don't know if dictators are quite the right word, it's it's authoritarian, it's, mm-hmm. it's a militaristic empire with, it's controlled with the hand, like a, an iron fist, in part, and the reason for that is because the changelings say that they were persecuted in the past for mm-hmm. being changelings, and so their response to that is to basically control their environment by controlling the social and political and governmental structures of the Gamma Quadrant. So they're they're no longer at threat because now they're in charge, um, which is an interesting interesting idea. You know, the idea that like how could they have I mean, it seems like seems so obvious that with their ability to, to change into anything that they could have just d- avoided detection. Um, how would people know you're a changeling if you're just able to, you know, look like anyone around you? Now, of course, the, the answer is probably something defective. They're like Odo, where they couldn't they had trouble, you know, pulling off the, 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 the effect for a long time. You know, Odo is not perfect in his ability to replicate humanoids. Um and they always present themselves in that kind of muted fashion whenever they are not fully looking like uh, uh, someone else. Um, mm-hmm. Every time we have seen the changelings outside of them attempting to reproduce someone else, they have that same look like Odo does. Um, but yeah, it's uh, you you feel sympathy for the changelings for that reason. Okay, they were persecuted, and this is how they're defending themselves by basically creating an uh, an, an empire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, it's um, it's definitely ahead, no, it's definitely fear gone amok here. You know, I mean, yeah. they they even say when we first when Odo first encounters them, you know, he they even say that you know they sent out several uh, of their kind like Odo to meet with and interact with other 
um, other peoples, other civilizations, because they have a desire right. to learn and know people and things like that. But, you know, they also know from their own collective history that, you know, people feared them and they were, right. you know, not just persecuted. They were often, you know, they were killed. They were hunted. They were definitely mistreated in the most extreme of, of ways. And so what we see here is definitely the outgrowth of that fear that no one's ever going to accept us. No one's ever going to let us live equally peacefully because we are so different. So instead of trying to just, you know, suffer through and me eke out some kind of meager acceptance somewhere down the line, they decided they were going to be more active and take control over um, how they were viewed and it, it became rather than us being fearful of others we would rather them be fearful of us so that's right. kind of where the the Jem'Hadar come from and the use of the Jem'Hadar and right. you know from all accounts though this seems to work for everyone there's a threat that if you don't do what they say they will send in the Jem'Hadar but if you do what they say they pretty much leave you alone it seems to have right. worked out for several different species that we've come into contact with so far. No one has any major complaints against the Dominion until the Jem'Hadars show up, which is, okay, well, what right. were you doing that caused them to come in? Even when, yeah. you know, we had that, the group, the Screans that came through the wormhole, remember? And they were the, the group of wanderers. They were the farmers, um, and they were led by that. They were a female-led society, and the one lady that was in was kind of leading the charge there, Hanik, she was saying how her people had also been persecuted for a very long time until the Dominion came in. The Dominion eliminated those that had been oppressing Hanik's people, and that allowed for her people to escape and right. to make their way, you know, to attempt to find a new homeworld. So, right. so. While we are beginning to see the see why the Dominion is a threat, for others, the Dominion could have been a blessing. You know, they could be seen as the liberators who freed them from other oppressors and allowed them the chance to thrive and to move about freely. You know, right. so, I mean, there's... History is obviously, you know, one of those things where, you know, whoever is telling the story is going to color it their own particular way. And as right. we're beginning to see our own, you know, interpretation of the Dominion is, is different. But all I'm just trying to say here basically is that, I mean, we, one, we don't have the full picture of them just yet. And two, I think a case could be made for why what they did made sense, even if on the whole, we don't agree with the end result. Yeah, I certainly say there's a logic to it for sure. Um, the real question, though, is as you pointed out, if they were sending out young changelings like Odo into the universe, it seems like wait a minute, you guys were upset because you guys were abused by you know alien species, and then your response after having conquered one side of the galaxy is to send your young inexperienced blobby children to go experience that same trauma for themselves basically or like to make like to learn about other species because i mean like the thing that odo's trying to say and communicate is like yeah i i experienced some of what you're talking about the cardassians and other things the scientists experimented on me yeah there were some things that i, I have some trauma about that but the bajorans and the federation and the people now 
I'm in a I'm in a better place now. And so don't just, you know, mm-hmm. come conquer us. Don't come conquer these people I have gotten to know. And and they don't so, like listen to him. It's it's interesting. They don't so seem I willing would see... to like Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry to keep, sorry to cut you. I, I I love this, but because um, this is one yeah. of the things I love to talk about too. Like, uh, so to me, I would view it as up until Odo started working with Starfleet and the Federation, his own experience was still one of trauma. Even when the Cardassians mm. kind of elevated him to a certain point where he was doing security for them, it was right. security, but with a, a threat of, you know. We we can kill you whenever we want. They did not view him as an equal. He was a he was a, a curiosity. He was a plaything right. to a certain extent. You know the infamous Cardassian neck trick that they wanted him to do for them at any given moment. They didn't see him as a person. He didn't really right. get that status until he started dealing with the Federation. So and we don't know how long he was on Bajor. Um, you know, before he was discovered by Dr. Mora, you know, he could have been anything, you know, and right. been kicked around a, a lot before they finally got him to someone who could effectively figure out a way to communicate with him. And so all of that is just to say that at the same time that Odo is just beginning to understand Starfleet and humans and Vulcans and all the rest of them, um, Starfleet is sending ships through the wormhole and making you know, contact with other races on the other side of the wormhole. And so if you're the Dominion and you've got your spies and listening posts out there, suddenly you're hearing whispers of this new alien power that's in the area that seems to be making some major headway and changing things. The The Federation has made contact with several different planets all of a sudden and right. has changed the way that they view their politics how they treat their culture um they've freed a bunch of people who were on a prison moon we don't know what society that prison moon came from maybe that was something that was set up by the dominion all of a sudden here comes the federation with their technology and wiping stuff out you know like there's so many different things that the federation just blindly jumps into and affects in a very drastic way that to the Dominion, who's been keeping the power and their form of peace for centuries, could suddenly mm-hmm. see this as a new threat. And right. so that's why I think that their response was so sharp when it finally came, because it was, we need to put a stop to this encroachment now, because the, if the Federation is any indication, they're just going to keep coming. They're just right. going to keep coming. They're just going to keep disrupting things. They're just going to keep changing things. We need to stop them now. And again, they did not know about Odo. They knew they had sent him out, but they didn't know he was just on the other side of the wormhole. They didn't right. know anything about his experience. So by the time that they did learn about Odo, probably a lot of that stuff was already in motion. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Um, yeah, it's just, it's an interesting thing, I guess, my point, though, is is that if they sent Odo out so that he could basically be a scout of sorts to other cultures, mm-hmm. when he meets them in those first two episodes, that two-parter, um, their response isn't, let's learn from you and what your experience were. It was, you know, it was talking at him, you know, come join us. Uh, what the, the great, oh, what's the, the great, what's link. The, what they, yeah, the great, the great link, link, which, like on some level, it makes sense. Like, yeah, you're you're returning to your people. This is how we do things. Um, but 
let me put it this way. It seems I don't fully understand all of the nuances of why they did what they did, or at least the show hasn't done a good job of explaining necessarily all of the ins and outs of why they did it. I mean, of okay. course, again, it's a show. Give it give it some time, or at the yeah. very least, it, let, it, let it work its own self out. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, learning about Odo is great. Uh, I think it was last season where he you know, turned into like that monster thing, you know, for a time. Um, and so we know that he could be dangerous. Um, but the real danger is actually, as we see in this season, that the fact that the changelings that are good at changing, they can appear as Romulans. Um, they can appear as, as, as ambassadors for the Federation. And as, and the last line of this season was, uh, we are, we're everywhere. Yeah, it's too late. We're everywhere. Um, so yeah, it's, it's fun. It, uh, it's as we talked about last episode. You can really take the horror element of this uh, of this premise, and it's been done. So, being a PG show, you know, on television, they're not going to go the horror route. Um, but it's still a scary prospect. When like, what does that mean? What what things are we going to suddenly have to just start questioning? Anytime anyone comes aboard the station, anytime any any sort of crisis or emergency or anything comes up the question that always will be at the back of our mind is is this because there's a changeling involved there's the dominion manipulating things behind the scenes um from now on we can never know uh until it's revealed one way or the other um that goes for the cardassians too we haven't seen any cardassians directly uh revealed as a changeling um, but it, the things with the change with the, with the Cardassians changed this season. We have peace with the Cardassians, like a true treaty that was negotiated yeah. of, of stench, of, on the surface by Kai Win, but we know it was actually Vedic Barail uh, who did most of the heavy lifting. Mm-hmm. Um, again, the character of Vedic Barail, as we've said many times, we weren't a big fan of, but he did go out. Let's let's we'll he stop went here. Out like a man. We'll yeah, stop here and talk a little bit about Barail because I know I've beaten him up. A lot in his in his <laughs> yeah. run on the show. Right. Um, you're right. He did go out. Um, I, I would say he went out in as strong a position as as his character type could. He was committed to yes. peace from beginning to end. He dedicated right. himself to protecting others who were, you know, more vulnerable than he was. And even with his last actions, he ensured peace for his people. It is a great, right. you know, legacy that he left. Um, I just always have felt like he would have fit in more with the next generation um, cast and crew than he does right. with with Deep Space Nine, and that's because right. Deep Space Nine from the get go has a bit has been a bit more of a hostile, combative show, and Barail right. is obviously a man of peace and a, a born in peacetime too. So right. I mean, he understands tragedy and loss, sure, but he has such an overwhelming you know compassion for everything that it makes him right. softer than everybody else that's around him and it right. just it really did make him stand out and it just made him seem out of place when you know if you think about it he actually that's probably where you want people like him who are are so peacefully minded you want him around people who are more hostile more aggressive more combative because hopefully that peace and serenity that he has, he can, you know, transfer and instill into others. And maybe he would have in time, maybe the effect that he would have had in time would be different, but I just always felt like he just seemed out of place. Um, Him and character Picard probably would have been 
great friends and, and <laughs> talked ad nauseum philosophy and points yes. of views and all that. They probably would have had yeah. some interesting conversations. And, you know, watching that with those two probably would have been really interesting. But right. for the people that we have on Deep Space Nine, it just didn't work. Didn't, yeah. At least it not was... to me. Not to me. Yeah, I agree. And we've said it multiple times. At least I, I strongly felt like Kira was a bad match. I, mm-hmm. I feel like both of them were in love with the idea of the other person. And the real person was, was kind of lost in the mix there. And um, that's why I liked the character of Shakar, who was yeah. the – that was the name of the third to last episode in this season. Uh, when Kira went back to the planet on uh, – Vedic, or I'm sorry, a Kai wins request, and uh, she basically teamed up with her old um, freedom fighters, and Shakar yeah. being the leader, he immediately is cuts out. I mean, let me put it this way: Shakar comes off with all of the great qualities that you could attribute to Vedic Barail. He was calm. He was upstanding. He was anything you could say about Barail, I feel like you could say about Shakar, but he also has a, a, a manliness to him, a, a willingness to was, fight, a Yeah, I was going to say, he was, he was quicker to action. He yes. Would, he would listen to his people, sure, but you would right. not, you would not catch Shakar off guard. And right. we saw evidence of that when, you know, Kai Wen sent those two security officers to arrest Shakar. And right. he, you know, he opened the door, he lets them in, he's very calm when listening to them and everything else, but he'd already made up his mind when they said they were there to arrest him, he'd already made up his mind as to what he was going to do, and right. sprung into action immediately. You know, yes. he let them say their piece. He was respectful of that and everything else. But then he immediately launched into action, knocked him out, took his weapon, and even stopped for a moment to tell Kira, you know, hey, this is not your fight. You can leave. They, You right. know, it, it, this can easily be explained away. You don't have to right. come with me. So he was still even right. thinking of her in that moment. So, yeah, I right. think that you're right. He, um, he has a lot of attributes that we could also say um, that, you know, that he shared with Barile, but he was definitely more a person of of action than than I feel like Shakar ever was, than than Barile ever was. In the same situation, I feel like Barile just would have gone with him. He would have allowed himself to be arrested and hoped that he would have been able to talk his way out of it later. And to be fair, I want to be fair to the character of Barile. I feel like that is what his strength was, as we saw in the episode where he dies, where he basically, not through uh, force of arms, but through force of will, wills himself through the the he's dying and he just basically like with with um uh dr bashir there we go with dr mm-hmm. bashir's help you know force of will lives long enough to make uh the peace happen so i part of me wishes like the two characters could have just met and i mean i feel like barile would have acknowledged that shakir shakar excuse me was the better fit for kira but we never uh, had that triangle moment. We never had the the love triangle, which you know a lot of great storylines involve a love triangle, and we didn't have that here. Um, I, I think I would have enjoyed that less. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be uh, fair, it's an overdone plot line a lot of times, so yeah. it could have been overdone. And, uh, and especially and, in this, and Kira it, has not expressed any love interest in Shakar, at least no direct thing. I'm yeah, I'm the one putting that out there. That's true. To be very clear, she hasn't said anything. But I mean, we picked up on the fact that it seemed like they were both little interested in each other you know Barile, certain not Barile, but um shikar certainly oh. seemed to 
throw that overture out a little bit more than than uh, Kira did, which would make sense because Kira was still grieving for Brial, so why would right. she? Um, right. But um, yeah, I, I don't think I would have enjoyed that watching that love triangle play because we that's the one that we see all the time the dynamic yeah, man of I, action versus the pacifist trying to win over the girl and and and, uh, and it would have yeah. all come out the same way the pacifist would have either died as we yeah. saw you know he he dies and blesses the union while yes, he's dying exactly. of the other two or or the, or the hero dies he died in some heroic action and and she finally realizes that it was actually the lover boy all along. It was the, which it the really peaceful... wasn't. It was just he was still there after the other one died. Like that's what it exactly. always comes down to. And I think it would have okay, cheapened. Okay, so we, we've told the story. Kira. We don't right. I think it would have <laughs> cheapened Kira. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, I mean that episode also had Kai Win, who the biggest change. You know, it was actually oh, last season or the end. What a Kai segue. Win Kai. And, uh, man, she is just as devious as ever. I mean, she was more nuanced this season because there were times when she seemed to want to be better or do better. But then that self-serving, my child, all of uh, the things you just hate about uh, about Wynn come out. I mean, she wasn't as aggressive about some of her being a jerk like she was like at the beginning of season two. Uh, Barile and and uh, and uh, Kira are walking in the gardens, and then above them on the bridge, you know, Kai Win basically taunts them for a bit. Like we didn't have anything directly like that in such a blatant kind of what does she crude say there? Way. She yeah, she basically insinuates that Kira is a hooker, seducing him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. she's and yeah, that she's, and that it's okay that Barile is entitled to recreation. Is what yeah. she calls. So basically, yeah, that that Kira is nothing more than um, a fun oh, diversion yeah. from <laughs> yes. from your real job. Exactly. And I, I still think back to season one when we first meet um, Vedic when she was Vedic when then, and we had the whole episode yeah. with the school and and Keiko O'Brien and uh, uh, O'Brien Miles was very upset and he said something to. Um, Vedic win. I don't remember what it was he said, but her response back sticks with me to this day, and it's one of those. It's one of those things that, like, every time I hear it, I, I just want to punch her in the face. And 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 I love Louise Fletcher for it because she delivers it so well. But the line that she says is, "I feel your anger towards me, my child, and I forgive you for it." Yes. And I mean, I don't know what it is about that. Because it sounds so pleasant in, in, in a certain light, right? But you right. just know. Like, you know a person who says something like that to yeah. you is a bastard. And I know you're real mad so... that I'm poking you right now, but I right. forgive you that you don't yeah. like my poking you right now. <laughs> yeah. I know you're mad that my actions cause you to be upset, and I don't care. I, I, there's yeah. just something about it. And from I knew from, I knew from that time on that she was just going to infuriate me in every scene that I saw it, and she yeah. does. Louise Fletcher did such a great job with this character. This is something that we get so much with a lot of the Deep Space Nine actors. They do such a great job with so little sometimes. You can see why they come back. Mild spoiler, but Kai Wynn, Vedic Wynn, Wynn, whatever you want to call her, was only in 19 episodes total of this show. 19. And the fact that she has left such an Delible mark on the show and has set herself up as such a 
such a Karen, basically space yeah. Karen, <laughs> in nineteen episodes. It's Kai it's Karen. amazing. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. I mean, um, great returning characters like this are just like oh gosh, I always forget her name. Um, the one, the Chalice of Ricks. Um, Luwaxana Troy. There you go. Uh, just, just as, just as, uh, I mean, of course, a very different character, but just as much an impression as a recurring character. Um, I'm sorry, but I now that I have to talk about Luwaxana, I miss her. I, I do. I miss Luwaxana Troy. I think she's great. Um, <laughs> we I had her, her in this ep- in this season. She made. An I know. I know. Go ahead. Yeah. Keep saying what you're saying. I just want to throw that in there real quick. I miss Luwaxana oh, Troy. Just, yeah, they're they're great returning characters. There's Garrick. Garrick's a returning character. We learn a lot about Garrick this season. Um, he kind of briefly turned back to the dark side, though again, it was more like a coerced turn back to the dark side moment. Um, he a, bonded with great Odo. Little, great little mini arc that we got there. I mean, we had the Romulan Tal Shiar teamed up with the Cardassian Obsidian Order. The greatest yeah. name for a spy group ever. Yeah. I don't think there can ever be anything that's going to top the Obsidian Order. Tal Shiar <laughs> sounds cool, but come on. Obsidian yeah. Order? I mean, it yeah. just the name oozes mystery. Yeah, Tal you know? Shiar is a bunch of nonsense lettering and, and just comes out sounding cool, but Obsidian Order. Right. Even when you say it, it's just like, <laughs> mm, okay, what is this? And it's yeah. it's great. We we get to dive a little bit into Garrick's history, which you know we're never really sure what's the truth and what's a lie. I mean, we've done this a little bit before with oh. Garrick when his little brain device was malfunctioning, and he spun several tales for us. But now here we are yet again. But now we're meeting his spy master, the man whom he learned everything from, and that right. has. You know, is he is he Garrick's father? Is he not? Like, cause they they clearly have a very close relationship here that seems to go beyond spy master and student, you know? Right. And even Odo says so when he's when they're when he's doing the investigation which is leading them to the Obsidian Order, he even says to Garrick, You guys were close, but there's something else there. You were closer than just, you know, spy master and student, you know? Right. And uh, you know, Garrick knows his his knows the Nobrentain's maid long-term maid. He knows so many things about him. He knows where Inabrantane had a house that no one was supposed to know about, but Garrick knew, and yet had never told anyone, you know? And there's just, there was so much there that we get. And then, of course, we get to meet the very impressive Colonel Lovak, who turned out to be a changeling, but he was awesome. For the (laughs) little bit that we saw him in, both of us, I remember being quite impressed with Lovak and his delivery Ugh. he was just fantastic fantastic yeah. again yeah. and he wasn't even a recurring character he was just a one-off special guest ah uh, man if he had been a recurring character that would have made the changeling reveal all the sweeter too yeah would if we had gotten yeah. to know him a little bit better yeah the he actor did... who played that character did a great job in those brief scenes we had him in another er alum he was another er alum so yeah. um uh you know now that my yeah now that all that is over with in my head, I know that <laughs> um, I know that he was uh, uh, an, uh, yeah, an ER alum. I'm trying to remember what the actor's name was who played yeah. him. Well, while you look it um, up, I'll just I'll just keep talking about. I, yeah, it was great to see the Odo Garrick bond in that episode, or I guess it was a two parter. Um, 
the idea they're both kind of outcasts of a sort of their own species of their own societies and um they bond at the end of that episode uh which was great because um garrick is a character we had only ever seen with bashir before it was only Bashir. it was like you know it was you know, just the, the the two of them bumbling around doing stuff together and then suddenly odo is the one who's actually with uh, garrick so that was that was good to see um Speaking of Bashir, I don't feel like a lot happened with Bashir in this season. I mean, he's not quite the annoying jerk he was in the like in the first couple seasons. He was just perfect at everything, kind of stuck up, obnoxious. He's definitely toned that down this season, which which is nice. He and O'Brien now actually have a <laughs> O'Brien doesn't hate Bashir anymore. <laughs> right? Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't hate him. Yes. They're not friends yet. He just doesn't hate him. Right, exactly. And, um, which is just hilarious. And, uh, he's gotten over Dax pretty well at this point. Uh, they're, they're just mutual friends now as well. Um, speaking of Dax, again, the show has not yet figured out what to do with her. And they even started kind of contradicting previous episodes with the whole. You know, is she or is she not integrated with her past lives, her past selves, her previous hosts? Um, the episode where we saw Curzon merge with Odo, that was fantastic. I, I could, I, I, I want more of that. I wish we could have like a bajillion more of that. <laughs> so before we switch to Dax, I will say um, the actor who played uh, Lilrock was uh, Leland Orser. Again, he's a um, ER alum, but he's also a Star Trek alum. He's played uh, several different characters across the Star Trek spectrum. He was yeah. on Deep Space Nine early in the episode Sanctuary, which I was just talking about earlier with Hanik and the Screens. He was one of the Screen males that she was with. Ooh. Didn't even realize okay. it, but he was there. Okay. Obviously, he was Lovok, and then he was on uh, Voyager as a um, holographic projection called Dejaren, and then he was on um, Enterprise as a kind of skeezy, corrupt um, blood bank operator named Loomis. So, um, yeah, kind of a varied career there within Star Trek, uh, as well as all the other things that he's played in, you know, over the years. But yeah, yeah. Still a great actor, and they keep bringing him back. That's another thing about these recurring roles. They can pop up in almost anything. Um, so I would love to see some of these actors return to other uh, Trek uh, stuff, uh, Trek projects right. in the future. He would he would be one of mine that I would put on that list, too, to return. Gotcha. But gotcha. Uh, now to talk about the curiosity that is Dax. Because as you said, <laughs> we have gotten a lot from uh, Dax in this season, but at the same yeah. time, we've gotten very little. It's weird. Right. It's like we've, we've got, I guess we've got a lot of nothing is the best way to describe right. it. Um, we had the episode Meridian where we get to see Jadzia Dax um, fall in love and contemplate leaving Starfleet and spending her life as a non-corporeal entity on this planet, which ultimately right. fails because the Dax symbiont is one of those, you know, innocuous things that can't be converted the way that it needed to be for for the plot of this episode. So obviously right. it keeps Dax with us. So we get to see her fall in love and then, you know, we have to deal with that pain of the loss. A kind of a growing up moment for Jadzia and a learning experience for the Dax symbiote. Because we have to remember Dax, when the show first started, Dax is 28 years old. 
counting her past lives, she's 328, but Jadzia herself was a 28-year-old um, woman coming onto the station. Right. Now, when we come to the episode of uh, Facets, of course, this is where we see her take place, um, take part in a, um, a trill ritual called the Jantara, in which she gets to meet with and interact with the previous hosts as their memories and experiences are transferred into the willing bodies of other individuals who've agreed to also participate in this thing. So, right. you know, um, yes, as we, as you said, Curzon goes to Odo and then the musician turned murderer goes to, um, Cisco, Duran, Duran yeah. Dax. Yeah. And these that are the two, yeah. these are the two greatest characters that we barely saw anything of. And it's, Ugh. it's a, it's a shame. It's a damn shame. Because, I mean, don't get me wrong, the others were interesting, but nothing can top the delivery of Renee and Avery Brooks here as their respective characters. <laughs> they they yes. definitely just just nailed it. And I don't know if it's just, yeah. I'm going to start with, I'm going to start with Renee, because I don't know if it was just seeing him be different from Odo and really seeing the range of Renee here yeah. that made that such a special thing. Um, yes. but I mean, he just, he really stood out. He really ate up all those scenes yes. with, uh, John yeah. and just gave us a stellar performance. As you right. said, I, I loved Curzon. I would have loved to see more of this relationship with Curzon and her. And maybe if this had been a longer drawn out thing where Odo was this Odo Curzon merger for two or three episodes, Yes, maybe, you know, yeah. seeing how that played out. Right. Yeah, the whole um, he doesn't want to return his memories back to the the symbiote. Um, yeah, that that could have played out. The whole Cisco is now uh, possessed by an evil murderer. That would have been a fun episode, um, but instead we just got glimpses. Ugh. I feel like that could but have been was... really a really scary. Like if they really wanted to give us like homicide in space, that <laughs> yeah. would have been a great a, a, yeah. a great one. Because then what do you do with at the end of the day, like let's say that Cisco had escaped and like murdered some people, right? Right. Yeah. So now Cisco he... has the memories of murdering someone yeah. that he has to deal with, and right. you know how do you how do you prosecute that? You're prosecuting the memories, right? That go back to Jadzia. Yeah. So Rem- reminds you of this season one episode Dax, where that was part of the question actually. Exactly. Of, hey, a previous yes. host is is the current host in some way responsible for a previous host actions. Um, they have the memories. Does that mean that they have the responsibilities too? Um, yeah, I just, I'm just, I was a fun episode, but it was unfortunate because I think it was in season two where we had, you know, Jadzia talking with a, a recruit, a potential um, host mm-hmm. and talking in like the third person, you know, Jadzia this and Dax that. And, and then, the whole point of that episode was to say that she was a combined person. She was all of these other hosts in one body. She was all of it at once. And then to find that the show has kind of retroactively re- gone back on that. And, oh, no, she still has questions for Curzon, even though she has his memories. Like, again, memories apparently of falling in love with her, you would think, as was revealed in this episode, which we agreed was kind of a, like that it kind of, tripped yeah. at the end it fumbled yeah. the, the the end of that episode um but anyway yeah i mean 
there's so many fascinating things about the idea of Dax, but it, it because it's hard to... It's, it's not like they ever really truly sat down before they wrote down all of the stuff about Dax and really worked out all the kinks about how her how the trill work, what yeah. it means to be a trill. And instead they're just kind of bumbling their way forward with her as a character and that it shows. They they have a hard time giving her good storylines, even lines a lot of times. It seems like she barely gets a line in some episodes. Uh, and then when they do give her storylines, they, they also contradict each other. So... Yeah, it seems like they only really know what to do with Dax when they can make her operate within that capacity as a science officer. When they start to move beyond that and they're trying to talk about culture, personality, the effects of being a joint trill, they are all over themselves. Like, you know, it, you, we know that Duran, from an earlier episode where we talked about Jadzia having flashbacks and these kind of recurring memories and everything else, that... Duran was joined as, um, you know, he became Duran Dax, but it was a very short-lived joining. And then the right. symbiont was removed from him after Duran was killed. So then Duran shows up in her Jantara. Well, what about the other guy who tried to steal the Dax symbiont? Remember when he, yeah, brought, when the station true. was working on the skeleton crew, what was his name? Um, I forget, but that was season two. It was like episode yeah. four because it was right after that three-part episode. It opened up season two. Exactly. Uh, let me look so at it now. Invasive on... procedures. Was yes. And so he comes on board with the skeleton crew. He gets he takes the symbiont out of Dax, puts it in himself. He now becomes a joined trill. He has the memories. He has the experience. And everything else. Okay. Well, then where is he in the Jantara? He should have turned up. Some part of him should have turned up in right. this process, but he doesn't. So it's just yeah. like, okay, um, are you getting to pick and choose whose memories? Like, there's no explanation for why he is not there. And if you think right. about it, it's kind of, it's kind of conspicuous because right. they went out of their way to put other people who were there who we'd never even seen before: Amini, Audrid. You know, I'm talking right. about you guys. But at the same time, one that we did see not there, and so, that that um. The actress who plays Jadzia, whose name excuse me for the moment, Terry Farrell. Um, Terry Farrell said that that guy, that actor who played that Trill who tried stealing Dax, the Dax symbiote, like she really liked working with him. Like it could have been a great callback to the character, even if the actor never returned. I mean, if if she liked having him around for that one episode, you'd think she'd have been like, "Hey, don't forget," <laughs> you know. But I don't know. Yeah, that guy was. Um... Uh, I've seen him in several different things too. I'm trying to remember what his name was as well, but he's been in Jonathan Glover. That's his name. And he's been right. in a lot of different things as well. And um, he was on um, Smallville. I don't know if anybody ever watched that show, um, but yeah, he was on that show for a while. He was, he's just in a lot of different things. And um, right. I've always thought that he was a great actor and I would have loved to see them give some kind of nod to him as well and have him come back and right. do something else but hey you know it is what it is i guess at this point um but yeah i still feel like there was just so much more with dax that like while these things that we learn about the character are important um they don't do anything to move her along per se and and i guess like because as much as i love the character of Jadzia, I, i'm realizing more and more that it is for things that come later so i guess 
I can appreciate what we see now because it does help form the basis for those later on things. And you can kind of forget them. Like, you know, she went on the quest with Kor, Kang, and Koloth to kill the albino. Her Only her and Kor survived that, which is um, sad because Kang and Koloth are awesome. Um, but yeah, we we see bits of that about her. There's just so much about this character that um, I really just can't wait for us to get into and we start that right away in season four so we'll be talking about that all really soon mm. one so, last quick thing i wanted to say is yeah. that o'brien the biggest thing with o'brien is keiko was now on the planet and their daughter is with her um i like keiko as a character but it feels like they needed to find a way to get rid of just the character because it's kind of a hassle to have him always like, that's his thing, is he's a family man, but we need to, like, free him up to do more things, so we gotta move his yeah. wife and daughter out off screen, and I feel like it's been a time since we've really last seen or heard from them, actually. And Sorry. the last time, it was even kind of a little awkward, because they really got into, like, a marital fight there for a bit, and they made up, but it was kind of... That was in the episode Fascination, and that was really Loaxana's fault. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I will say, so I've always believed that, that that the reason that we see less of Keiko and family for a couple of uh-huh. different reasons. Number one, Rosalind Chow, the actress who plays Keiko O'Brien, she was quite busy. She did a right. lot. I mean, as I've already said, you know, she was on ER a few times. She did a lot of other shows as well. And I'm just assuming that there are probably a lot of different scheduling conflicts. I mean, she had right. been kind of a recurring character on Next Generation. And then with the character of O'Brien being picked up for Deep Space Nine, I'm not sure that she was really ready to fully commit to being on the show. And then by the time that I think that she actually was ready, they were kind of like, well, we're moving in a certain direction here. And we don't right. really need to focus on Keiko as much. I also right. think that there was something to do, there was more to do also with the popularity of the character. As we've said before many times, there were a lot of negative things said about Keiko for a long time. Even now, you will find people who don't like the character, don't like the way that she nagged Miles or whatever it was that she did, you know, because, and I feel like there's a lot of lack of understanding of their relationship that attributes that. And a lot of that is hefted onto Keiko rather than onto O'Brien. Um, and then also, I think that they were trying to make a distinction between um, Cisco and everybody else. And Cisco was our family man. His wife right. had died, but he was raising his son. He was very committed to raising his son. And I don't think that they wanted to compete with Cisco's family dynamic with another family dynamic. So I think that's why there was this desire to kind of step away from that with O'Brien a bit and kind of make him a married man who's kind of living this weird, lonely bachelor life. He misses his wife and child, so that's why he's so good at his job, because he's throwing himself into his work. And then when his family shows up, it's great, whatever else, but we know it's short-lived. You know, and trying to give us that aspect of Federation, Starfleet family life, where one person may be in in service while another one is not, and what that dynamic may look like is what we're seeing here. So, a lot of different things they were playing with here, trying to make things right, but I do feel like the two main things were Cisco being the family man they wanted to focus on and Rosalind Chow being extremely busy and unavailable. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, I hope we see more yep. of her, even if it's just glimpses. I mean, I'm not saying she has to become a main character, but um, I certainly she don't hope they just like forget about her. <laughs> no, they, no, she doesn't. She doesn't go away. She's not around. Good. She's not Good. around as much. But I think that in time, people will come to appreciate her, kind of like we do with a lot of the characters on the show. Um, you know, you might not have liked them initially when you first started your first watch, first run through, or whatever. But I think as the show progresses and with time, you will like these characters. Good. Um, now, before we end everything, there is one moment that we must talk about for season three, which was absolutely amazing and is definitely important to um, to character development here. And that is, of course, Ra- uh, not Rom, Nog. Nog requesting to get the opportunity to uh, join, Starfleet. join Starfleet. And then, of course, him taking the test, which now qualifies him to take the test to join Starfleet. Um, but what a great moment that we have with um, Cisco and Nog in his office, and he kind of lays it out as to why he wants to be in Starfleet. And Aaron Eisenberg, once again, you know, great delivery, great, great scene. Him and Avery Brooks, again, were just top-notch here. And I think it's one of the defining moments of Deep Space Nine. Like, even with all the stuff that we haven't even seen yet, and what I could tell you about the rest of the show, I still feel like this is going to be one of those top five moments. I was going to say top ten, but I'm going to still put it up there in top five, probably even top three moments of the show, because it sets up so much for the show, but also for Nog. And what we see happen to Nog throughout the course of the show, and it all stems from this moment right here, and it's it's uh, deeply impactful. You definitely can't miss that scene. Right. Yeah. 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 I, um, again, I, I know a few things that Nog happened with Nog. I think we've talked a little bit about it. Like, he gets a ship named after him, and he mm-hmm. defeats the Kobayashi Maru in his own way. I don't know all the details yet, but... Um, yeah, yeah, it's a great moment. I was, it's hilarious, you know, Nog is placing all of his gold-pressed latinum in front of Cisco, and Cisco refuses it, and it's, it's a great little moment of, like, conflicting cultures. Actually, Nog is actually expressing respect to Cisco by offering all this money. You know, that's a bribe, yes, on some level, but in that cult, in his culture, that means a lot. Yeah, I'm giving you everything I have. That's how that's how invested I am. I am giving it all to you. And for Cisco, uh, I think he, yeah, he accepts it. He basically lets it just sit on the table. Um, of course, for Cisco, you know, money in the Federation is kind of a thing of the past. So it's not quite the bribe that maybe the 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 Ferengi would would consider it. But um, yeah, it's yeah, you're right. It was a great moment. Um, Nog has been the troublesome student. Um, Jake has been helping him learn, teaching him. They were having great bonding moments over a lot of that stuff and it's paying off. Nog is, Mm -hmm. he's still an awkward studier. You know, he's still kind of jittery as he took those tests, but, uh, he, he proved himself and, uh, hopefully we can, well, I look forward to watching him grow and, and, uh, earn his stripes as it were. (laughs) So yes, and he, and he definitely does in the, in a big way. He's got some great moments. There's another great one in particular um, that will be it's several seasons removed. Um, all I'm going to say about that is it's him dealing with his own PTSD and that's it. That's all I'm going to say, but it's, it's great. It's a great episode. 
Um, Aaron Eisenberg was a fantastic actor. And I mean, once again, he's just following along in a line of people who gave us spectacular performances and unfortunately are no longer with us. From, um, again, Aaron Eisenberg, Louise Fletcher, Renee Abergenois, Camille Saviola. Um, these are all people who gave us great characters, great performances, impactful performances that um, continue to have a shaping framework, not just on the show that they were on, Deep Space Nine, but also well after their run on Star Trek was over and the new shows are continuing to reference them. Heck, even the most recent episode of Star Trek Picard made a reference to um, Odo. And we even got to see a little picture of Odo on one of the paths really? that they were using. Yeah. So, huh. um, yeah, these guys, they come up, you know, uh, Discovery, we find out about Nog and they named a whole line of ships after him. Um, so, and or, you know, it's, the ship is called the USS Nog, and it's the Eisenberg class ship. Right. So yeah. a double wink and a nod there to mm-hmm. to the character. So the character and the actor. So yeah. yeah, I mean these. It's clear that they had an impact not just on the show they were on, but also on the people watching, and then the development of shows uh, that came after them. So um, basically, all I want to say on that is, I mean, it's it's great to have these kind of things to remember them by, and they're obviously missed. And for those of you who don't remember, Camille Saviola was, of course, Kai Opaka, who mm. left us in the after the first season, actually. So, right. <clears throat> well, we are coming right up on it, but before we end it out, I did want to give a brief update about um, New Trek. As we said last week, um, Star Trek Discovery has announced that the fifth and final season will air in 2024. Star Trek Picard has just released its uh, fourth episode, but by the time um, our podcast version of this episode releases, uh, the fifth one will be out as well. Um, it's five of ten. That'll be five of ten episodes total. Wow. There, uh, and then that's it. So that's supposedly that's it. Now there has been talk of a lot of different, you know, potential spinoffs of characters and things like that as as certain storylines have taken off and characters have gained popularity and so forth. Really, that's going to come down to what actors are going to be available to do it. I mean, as, I think as much fun as a lot of them are having. We do have to recognize that there are limitations on people's age. I mean, again, Patrick Stewart's 82 years old. I think William, uh, you know, Jonathan Frakes is in his in his 70s and Michael Dorn in his 70s and so forth. So, you know, seeing them run shows again, I don't know if that would actually happen. Um, the Section 31 show, I'm going to go ahead and call it dead. I, I just think that it's dead. It's been in development for the past, like, six years. Michelle Yeoh's uh, star power has risen exponentially, so I'm sure there's going to be a financial issue there. I don't think that show's ever coming out. And if it does, more power to her. But I just don't think it's going to happen. The two things that seem to be to beat right now would be a show focused on Starfleet Academy, and then there's, you know, something else that may be a spinoff of Picard, which they haven't really talked much about, but some kind of spinoff there. But other than that, nothing. Um, Lower Decks and Prodigy are set to return as well in later of, the, of this year, 2023, but we will see. Um, but that's right. it. That's it. That's yeah. where we are. <laughs> Any final thoughts, David, before we close this out? Uh, well... Looking forward to season four. <laughs> any any projections? Anything that you want to see in in season four? 
Yeah, give me give me one. One thing you definitely want to see in season four, and one thing you definitely do not want to see <laughs> in season four. What I want to see is I want the Cardassians to have to. I want them to be in a crisis of some kind as a culture, primarily because of the Dominion. Like the Dominion has infiltrated their government and is causing all kind of havoc. You know, the changelings are in there. There's a problem. Gold Dukat comes on his knees begging for help. That's what I want. <laughs> That's okay. what I want. Okay. Um, and then what I don't want, um, I mean, what I want is I want Kai Win to be humiliated, which means I don't <laughs> want her to succeed. Yeah, but, uh, you know, anything with Kai Win getting a comeuppance, that's what I want. Okay. <laughs> not just well. a skated by, got out of it the last second, I'm not going to be the minister, the first minister, because I, I, I'm going to endorse the truly popular candidate. I want okay. her to, like, Get get it to the face, you know. Get get a uh, yeah yeah. Take it on the chin. There you go. That's what I want. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, um, we will be back to talk about all of that in uh, two weeks, and we'll actually be doing a special for the beginning of season four. There will be more of us that you get to listen to as we go over the opener of season four. Now. Um, Again, I said two weeks because next week we'll be doing our Trek After Dark special in which we talk about all things The Expanse. So for those of you who have been following along either with the show or the books or both, um, just be ready for us to do our own little deep dive there um, on book three of the series. Okay, And it's going to be all about The Expanse and how it relates to Deep Space Nine and some other shows that we really like. And because we finally got there that we can talk about all those things as well. So then... That's next week, and then the week after that, we will be back with season four, okay? And so hopefully by then, all of our stuff will also be up and running. We'll be having any Twitter issues amongst other (laughs) other problems, okay? So, um, yeah, just catch us back here, and until next time, take care of yourselves. Thanks, guys.